0: Praise God. For the believer, every day is Easter because Jesus has risen from the dead. He's not going back in the grave, and he promised that he's coming back for us. He's gone to prepare a place for us. Can you say amen? And that's wonderful news. Hallelujah. The Bible also says that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and architect is God, and it's very rare for architects to be builders. I wish more architects were builders, because then they would be able to draw drawings that would work, and we wouldn't have to keep asking them for information on how do you want this to work, because it's not working. It looks good on paper, but in reality, it's not working. We all have, I've worked in construction. I'm a union carpenter, and as we're building something, we always have to send off these RFIs, requests for information. This doesn't work. This page says that we do it this way. This page says we do it this way. Please uh, uh, give us uh, uh, what you want us to do here and uh, send um, clarification. How many know that God has clarified everything for us in this book? It's not just a book, but as I preached last time, it's the living word of God. So let's look this morning at what does the word say about culture? who we are. The very first um, thing we're going to be looking at is we are people saved by grace. We are saved by grace. Let's see. I pressed the right button. Ephesians, Paul's wonderful letter to the church in Ephesus. It's got so much in that letter. It's so rich in theology and and, and just phenomenal revelation that God gave the Apostle Paul and he says in verse 8 of chapter 2, For by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Say it with me. By grace I have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. It's a gift. Hallelujah. So we want to look, first of all, what is culture? I did some uh, studying and I and, uh, looked up in the dictionary several uh, definitions of culture. And first of all, the first definition was this, the cultivation of plants and animals, especially with a view to the improvement of the breed or stock. Hallelujah. Salvation, the culture of Christianity, the culture of our church, is that we're looking for improvement. God is not done with us yet. Can you say amen? Thank God he's not done with us yet. Ask my wife. (laughs) Praise God. Thank God he's not done with us yet because it promises in Paul's letter to the Philippians, He who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion. Thank God. What a promise. The second definition of culture is the training, development, and refinement of the mind. Moles and taste. One time, uh, my wife and I were visiting her mom when she lived in California, and uh, we're sitting there in the living room and uh, watching the public TV, and there's opera or ballet or something on, and and her brother and his uh, wife or girlfriend at the time, they're kind of rough people, and uh, they come walking in, and they look so surprised that it's like, what in the world? And I just looked at her and I said, huh, Uh, we're getting some culture. So. (laughs) We were trying to elevate our tastes, you know. (laughs) So the training, development, and refinement of mind, morals, and taste is supposed to produce a condition of refinement or enlightenment. Now keep that word enlightenment in the back of your mind because we're going to look at something very interesting about enlightenment further on this morning. How many know that the United States culture doesn't seem to be refining its mind and morals and tastes. It seems like the United States culture is on a downward spiral, getting worse and worse. Another uh, definition of culture is an anthropological definition, and it's the sum total of the attainments and learned behavior of any specific period, race, or people regarded as expressing a traditional way of life subject to gradual but continuous modification by succeeding generations. There's a group of politicians who call themselves progressive. However, it seems to me, and uh, maybe to you, that they're not progressing upward, but they're progressing downward. The promotion of sin in this nation is horrific in my eyes. you know, without going into detail, you know what I mean. How, what it seems like back in the days of the American Revolution, people would have been shot for or taken up arms against, and they'd been tarred and feathered and run out of town. Now it's like, oh, well, this is wonderful. This is progress. Well, I don't see how it's progress. any event, to improve the way of life, it's synonymous with refinement. It comes from the Latin word colere, which means to care for. Culture is also related, or where we get the word cult from. And the definition in my dictionary said that a cult is a system of religious rituals and observances. How many know that when we come to Jesus, we don't come to rituals? I need a battery. Oh, the red light's
1: on. Hold on, time out.
0: Good grief.
1: Thank you, sir.
0: Sorry for the interruption. Praise God. <clears throat> A cult is a system of religious rites and observances. When we came to Jesus and we put our faith in his finished work on the cross, his unquestionable successful sacrifice, we did not have to do any rituals. No more rituals, no more hocus pocus, no more magic stuff we had to do to just have a right relationship with God. All we had to do is put our faith and trust in Jesus. It makes it so simple. A couple of hundred years ago, people didn't think that children could understand the gospel message. But lo and behold, uh, I don't remember the young man's name. Uh, He's famous during the early American uh, colony days. But (laughs) four years old, he's out there preaching to the Indians, the natives, and winning souls. I believe it was David Brainerd. Any event, a cult also includes zealous devotion. person, ideal, or thing, and it's the followers of a cult otherwise known as a sect. There in the uh, New Testament, Jesus and uh, the disciples that talked about different sects in the Jewish religion. There was the sect of the Pharisees. There was the sect of the Sadducees. And uh, the joke goes that uh, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead, and that's why they were sad, you see. That's where they got their name. Wah wah wah! <laughs> Praise God. So the Latin word "colere" also means to cultivate, cherish, or worship. When I was growing up, uh, back in the 70s, there was the subculture of the drug culture. LSD and marijuana and all that stuff was uh, popular and acceptable. And and now marijuana is supposed to be a recreational drug, and I don't want to be working uh, around anybody that is under the influence or driving under the influence. I don't think that's a good idea. But people voted for it, so apparently the voters know better, but in God's eyes, God knows better. Can you say amen? I read an interesting article in um, uh, the Wired magazine from last month, actually April's uh, 2019 issue of Wired magazine. The uh, author of the article, Virginia Hefferman, uh, was uh, there at the unveiling of the atomic clock back on January 24, 2009. Every year, the atomic clock is unveiled, and they'd see, oh, how much closer are we to the end of the world? So uh, when they unveiled it, um, it said that uh, we're now two minutes from midnight. I was reading the article, and apparently the person that created the atomic clock was an artist whose husband just happened to be working on the Manhattan Project. Everybody know what the Manhattan Project was. It produced the nuclear, the atomic bomb. Well, we've gone further. Now we've got neutron bombs and hydrogen bombs. And the last time the atomic clock was at two minutes to midnight was back in 1953 when the United States and the Soviet Union were testing hydrogen bombs. The person who created the clock in the first place just arbitrarily decided, well, um, things look pretty bad. It's not even morning anymore. We're seven minutes to midnight back in 1947 when this thing was created. Guess who unveiled the clock this year? (laughs) Former Governor Jerry Brown of California. Anyway, so she's there at the unveiling of the current doomsday clock which is run by the nonprofit group, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. And the purpose of this clock is to dramatize the imminence of global catastrophe. Kathy and I were talking the other day, you know, it looks like we're getting closer and closer and closer to the day when the Antichrist is going to come to power here on this earth. And you will not be able to buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. And I don't hear that spoken about too much lately. But it looks like we're getting closer and closer and closer. Already in Europe, they're putting chips in people's hands. Oh, well, you forgot your keys underneath. I've got a chip. Right now, they can't track the chips. But that, you know, is subject to future technology in any event. So it appears to me that some global catastrophe will usher in this person who's going to have all the answers. How many know humans do not have all the answers? We don't. I'm sorry to say, we do not have all the answers. Herbert Lynn is a senior research scholar for cyber policy and security at Stanford, and he is uh, one of the people that was at this, uh, this unveiling. And uh, he's quoted in saying, the Enlightenment sought to establish reason as the foundational pillar of civilized discourse. The Age of Enlightenment back in the 1700s. Guess what the Age of Enlightenment produced? Wars. The French Revolution. For about a year, the French Revolution went through what's known as the reign of terror. Thousands of people were beheaded uh, by Monsieur Guillotine's uh, famous invention to make beheading more humane. Marie Antoinette lost her head. So did the King of of France. That was what the Enlightenment produced. And so he goes on to say, in this idea or conception of reason as the foundational pillar of civilized discourse, logical argument matters. And the truth of a statement is test by examination of values. Whose values and assumptions? Never assume anything, because when you assume something, you make an ASS out of you and me. Never assume anything. And facts not by how many people believe it. Let me read that again. The logical argument matters, and the truth of a statement is tested by examination of values, assumptions, and facts, not by how many people believe it. Well, glory to God. Jerry Brown is quoted in the article. Uh, He's one of the people that drew back the curtain. Jerry Brown is quoted as referring to Russians as Americans, Russians and Americans as imperfect human beings with sins. Now that's a fact. Can you say amen? Humans have sins. Praise God. So the Enlightenment gave us science, modern ethics, which aren't worth a hill of beans in God's opinion. The arts and liberal democracy... The Reign of Terror, the French Revolution, the American Revolution, and Napoleon. Napoleon was only defeated in 1815. That's not that long ago. In the whole scheme of things, that's not that long ago. Hitler was defeated only in in 1947 or whatever it was. Not that long ago. The communists took over in China in 1949. Only eight years before I was born. That's not that long ago. I have a special report from December of last year about China from the Voice of the Martyrs. Here's an interesting thing. The oppression of Christians by China's communist government is an often overlooked reality that has continued for nearly 70 years. In recent months, the government has redoubled its efforts to suppress Christian activity, with persecution reaching a level reminiscent of China's brutal cultural revolution. China has a culture. The United States has a culture. But here in this church, we have a culture. Listen to this. In 1949, when the communists took over, there were fewer than 5 million Christians in China. Today, there are more than 128 million Chinese believers who boldly serve Christ in the face of ongoing opposition from their government. But God is victorious in China because a restricted nation that 10 years from now is projected to comprise the world's largest Christian population. The persecution of the church in China has caused it to continue to grow. The most funny thing, well, it's not really funny, but the most amazing thing that when the communists took over and they kicked out all the foreign missionaries out of China, the church in China exploded in growth. Praise God. Well, they have a culture, God has a culture, and it's more superior. Can you say amen? Here's the funniest thing about this article. The author of the article refers to Facebook as a culture.
1: Facebook is a culture. All right, praise God. A culture is equals belief and behavior.
0: Your beliefs will uh, determine your behavior. That's a culture, plain and simple. Beliefs and behavior equals a culture. I believed it was okay to use drugs back when I was a teenager and uh, growing up. I believed it was okay to sleep around until I read the word of God and God spoke to me. I believed it was okay to get drunk and forget where I was and how I got home. But God opened my eyes when I began to read his word for himself, for myself, himself to me. Yes, praise God. That's what he did. Not have worked. The interesting thing about the word grace, in every single one of Paul the Apostle's letters, he greets the readers with some variation of the phrase grace and peace. The grace of God has brought us peace with God. I love Isaiah's prophecy about uh, the Messiah in uh, uh, the early chapter of Isaiah. I believe it's chapter 9, verse 6. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And of the increase, and I used to forget this part, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Why would a government like the Chinese government want to eliminate Christianity when it's based on loving God and loving your neighbor and doing good and being at peace with all men? Why would a a government want to eliminate something like that beyond me? It might be that there's an enemy who is real and wants to destroy humanity. The word grace is the Greek word charis, which means grace and favor. And the word peace, Paul is reaching out both to Gentile, Greeks, and Jewish people when he says grace to you and peace. It was a common greeting in those days to say grace or favor to you when you went to greet somebody in the Greek world. You have all of my favor in your favor. How are you today? That's how they would greet people. Next, let's look at the word saved. We're saved by grace. By grace you have been saved. So this is an important word here. It's the Greek word so-so, and it means the spiritual, according to Vine's Dictionary, the spiritual and eternal salvation granted immediately by God to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately, right away. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to say, well, you know, uh, I better clean my act up before I come to Jesus. Glory to God. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, whatever condition you come in, I will receive you. Come here. In Isaiah, it says, uh, everyone that thirsts, come. Whoever you have no money, come. Then the picture, and I read this just recently, the picture is Jesus says, come here. Let me pour you a drink. You look thirsty. That's the grace of God. That's God reaching out to us. Praise God. And not only that, but this water that I give you, Jesus says, is going to satisfy you forever. Hallelujah. The word salvation comes from the word saved, So, so It's soteria. The word saved is a verb in uh, this particular verse. And the word salvation is a noun, and it is the spiritual and eternal deliverance granted immediately by God to those who accept his conditions. God does have conditions. Everybody ever hear the, oh, God's love is unconditional? In a sense it is, but God does have a condition. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You just don't get saved because God's nice. You get saved because you put your faith and your trust in Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for you and I. It also goes on to say that it's the present experience of God's power to deliver from the bondage of sin. Next time you're tempted, all you have to do is keep reminding yourself, I'm dead to sin. Not only am I dead to sin, but I'm alive to Christ. Hallelujah. That's dead and gone. We're over. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Glory to God. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, live or die, we should live together with him. This grace is the friendly disposition from which the kindly act proceeds. Graciousness, loving kindness, not just kindness, loving kindness, goodwill generally bestowed by God. When Jesus was born, the angels announced glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men." God likes you. Can you say amen? God loves you. There's a phrase, God is madly in love with you, irresistibly, unquestionably in love with you and I. Glory to God. That's good news because uh, there's times when I'm not lovable. There's times when I'm grouchy. God still loves me. There's time when I'm irritable. But the Bible says that those things that so easily encumber us and, and, and entangle us we take them to the cross and to the throne and say, Jesus, I need some help here. And Jesus says, come here, this, I'll help you. Praise God. God is gracious. There's a stress on the freeness and us- universality and spontaneous character and the pleasure or joy that God has designed for the recipient of his grace. Grace is set in contrast with debt, the law, and works. We're saved by grace. It's free. We can't
1: earn it. God doesn't owe it to us.
0: You can't fulfill it by the law, and you can't work your way to heaven. However, when you do get saved, you begin to change your behavior and work things that God would like you to do. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's love. We deserve to be crucified ourselves. I've said it before, and I'll never forget it. When I was ministering out of the federal prison, beginning of the service, I was playing the guitar, and between songs I said, thank God, you know, we deserve the death penalty. In the back of the room is a guy, uh, one of the inmates, and it looked like somebody slapped him in his face because he went like this. Moved his head like oh, and at the end of the service, I gave an invitation to receive salvation and forgiveness, and he was the first guy to raise his hand. He had an understanding. Anybody ever try to witness to somebody and they say, "Oh, I'm not a sinner." Have that ever happened to anybody? I'm not a sinner. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. Well, are you obeying God? <laughs> what does the Bible say? <laughs> Praise God. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is getting, not getting, what we do deserve. Praise God. Let's go on to our second slide.
1: Lordy God, this is for
0: people who have no idea that they need to get saved. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. These ways we continue, and we need to be saved, get delivered, set free from the power of sin. Glory to God. Because it goes on to say in verse 6, that all your righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Our good works, apart from Jesus, are like filthy rags. You ever try to clean something with a dirty rag? It doesn't work. Can't cover it up. I'm here in Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now, or however, now the righteousness of God apart from the law has been revealed or is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is what Jesus said when uh, he was on the road to Emmaus talking to the two disciples, and (laughs) they're sad, and he says, what are you guys talking about? And they're astounded. You're the only person around here that hasn't heard anything? And Paul, in his defense, before King Agrippa says, these things were not done in a corner or under a rock. These things were done out in the open. And so Jesus explains the law and the prophets, how he had to die, the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. Whoever believes, gets saved. all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We used to browbeat people over the head with that one. Oh, everyone has sinned. You're all sinners. Well, I needed to give them some hope. God loves you. That's what attracted me to salvation. I grew up as a Catholic. I studied to be a Catholic priest. I failed out of there. And I remember walking down the street after I got out of there and, uh, just, you know, minding my own business, going through life. I'd move back in my, my mom and dad's house, and this stranger stops me. You know, God loves you. Anyone ever tell you God loves you? And then aside, I'm thinking, you don't know anything about me. God couldn't possibly love me. I've done a lot of nasty things already in my short life. Praise God. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. I couldn't measure up. I couldn't do all the things right. Like I said, I failed out of the college. Praise God. But then I am freely justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. This is an interesting word. How many of you use that in a sentence every day? <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> if I, they'd, they'd say, do that here and you've got to clean it up. Praise God. A propitiation.
1: Somebody has to pay.
0: Hallelujah. Propitiation is a covering. Something that God has provided. Hallelujah, Jesus. Ah, the value of the gift. His blood. Always refers in the New Testament to the victim. That's Jesus. Propitiation. There's value. There's power in the blood of Jesus. Power to forgive. Power. Somebody had to pay the price. You and I could never have paid it on our own. But God paid it for us. The value of the gift. Through faith praise God to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed And he demonstrated at the present time his righteousness that God himself might be just and the justifier of the one or anyone who has faith in Jesus. Through this word justifier and justified, it's just as if I had never sinned. When you put your faith in Jesus, God wipes it all away and doesn't even
1: remember it. Praise God.
0: And it's simply by trusting in Jesus. And here's the verse that really hit home for me. But God, however, make sure your word is in the right place. However, God demonstrates his own love for us. And now while we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. Much more. This is his favorite phrase. It's like four, five, six times in the book of Romans. He writes that much more than Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Jesus. The wrath of God is coming on the earth. God is totally justified, totally right. It's part of his nature to punish sin and to pour out his wrath and his indignation. It's coming. And the only way to escape is by putting our trust in Jesus his sacrifice. Hallelujah. Let's go on to the next slide. Isaiah, I love Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25 and 26. He says, God speaking, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together, state your case that you may be acquitted, set free, charges dropped. Hallelujah, no longer guilty before God. put me in remembrance, state your case, hallelujah. We have a defense lawyer in Jesus. Not only is he the defense lawyer, he's the judge. not only is he the judge, he's the the person who took the punishment. okay, you got the Hundred years in prison? Well, I'll do that for you. Worse than that, he says, you deserve to die. I'll take your place. What love. Hallelujah. Isaiah 44, verse 22, it continues the same. I have blotted out, like a thick cloud, your transgressions, and like a cloud, your sin. And the picture here I was reading in the commentary is like, everybody ever see fog? As it rolls in and you can't see hardly anything, we went out to California for July Fourth one summer, and uh, they uh, we were out at Morro Bay, and the sun went down and the fog rolled in, and they had a barge out there to uh, shoot the fireworks off, but the cloud, the fog was so low that all you could see was the fireworks go up and. Explode in the, in the in the fog and make the, the fog and the clouds glow colors. You couldn't see any of the fireworks. But the picture here is of your transgressions and your sins like a cloud. When the sun comes up, the fog dissipates, and it's gone. That's your, your sin in God's eyes when you repent and give your life to Jesus. It's gone. Hallelujah. Turn to me in verse 22, for I have redeemed you. Not I'm going to, I have. It's a done deal. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. I love this. How You go from 43 to 25, 44 to 22, now 45 to 22. It says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Four times. In chapter 44, 45, and 46, God speaking through Isaiah the prophet says, I am God, and there is no other. There is only one name given among mankind where we we must be saved, and that's Jesus of Nazareth. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, it says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge In the rest of verse 22, it says, By knowing God, my righteous servant, or by knowing Jesus, Jesus is the righteous servant. He will justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. Hallelujah. There's a song, a hymn, that on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. How do we know that? Because Isaiah 53, the great chapter of Isaiah, chapter 53, Every verse is prophetic of Jesus. And it says he, capital H, God himself will see the labor of his, capital H, soul, and be satisfied. Wrath of God was satisfied on the cross and it is not appointed to us to suffer wrath because Jesus took it for us. Glory to God. That's why when we have communion, we have the unleavened bread, it's crushed to make the wheat. And then it's pierced with the little holes in it. That's Jesus, the bread of life. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised. The chastisement of our peace was put upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our iniquities. Glory to God. What a wonderful Savior. Can you say amen? The city of Philippi. Paul and Silas are in the prison. They've been arrested. They've been beaten publicly because Paul cast a demon out of a little girl. And uh, they've been accused of trying to bring a different culture into the Roman culture. And uh, so that was treason in those days. So They get arrested, they get beaten, they get thrown in prison. And about midnight it says that they're singing and praising God after being beaten. An earthquake happened. He says, all of the prisoners' chains fall off, all the doors open up, and it's probably not a full moon, so the jailer calls for light. and He's about to kill himself because if anyone escaped, the jailer would be executed. That's the Roman culture. In not that wonderful culture? They had the Colosseum where they fed uh, Christians to the lions.
1: What an awful culture.
0: Praise God. So the earthquake happens. And I like what Pastor Larry Neville said last time he was here, that Paul was writing from prison another time. And he says uh, he probably, you know, tried doing that thing again, praying and singing at midnight and hoping an earthquake would get him out. And it didn't work. Second time, only worked once. Here in the city of Philippi, the jailer comes in. And instead of asking, you guys all here? What happened? How do you know everybody's here? First thing he says is, what must I do to be saved? What, how many have ever had anybody come up to you and say, What do I need to tell me how to get saved? I've never had that happen to me. I've done that to somebody when I got saved on Thanksgiving Day. I asked these people, What do you mean you're saved? How do you get saved? And they said, Oh, I just say a simple prayer. Just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Because I had read Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. So the first time I read that, I thought, well, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I've heard that all my life. But I had not confessed with my mouth, Jesus as Lord. I had not asked him to be the Lord of my life, to be the king of my life. On Thanksgiving Day, 1981, I did ask him, Jesus, come into my life, be the Lord of my life. That's when I got saved. Praise God. So Paul So they, Paul and Silas, said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not believe in, believe on. And you will be saved. You and your household. Glorious promise. You and your household. Your children, the Bible says in Romans, will be saved. Anybody have unsaved children? They will be saved. God is faithful. Hallelujah.
1: One more thing before I close isaiah chapter fifty one very interesting verse
0: here chapter fifty one <clears throat> verses four through six. listen to this, listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. You're saved and you love God and you have accepted Jesus. You have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and you are now in the kingdom of light. You are God's people. It goes on to say law will proceed from me and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth and my arms will judge the people. The coastlands will wait upon me. And on my arm, they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look on the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke; the people with the tomahawk are right. There is going to come a catastrophe that's going to end human life as we know it. The heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished or broken. God's making a promise, a powerful promise to us that his salvation is forever, even after the end of time as we know it. Hallelujah. Verse 8, it says, The moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. If you have loved ones that are not saved, claim that promise from God that from generation to generation, His salvation is available. His salvation will come to pass. His salvation is forever and ever and ever. What a good God we serve. Can you say amen? Praise God. With that, let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Oh, yeah, usually open in prayer. I forgot. Hallelujah. Saved by grace. That's our culture. Part of our culture in this church and uh, part of our culture as Christians, there is a, a, a saying called, uh, you know, they're just cultural Christians, but they just go to church on Sunday and that's it. <clears throat> we're a culture that we're saved by grace every day until the end of time. We're still God's people. And God loves us. Oh, praise God. I don't know everyone here this morning, but if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you have not given Him your life. You have not confessed Him as Lord of your life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. You know you need to get saved. You know you're not serving God the way you should. God loves you. And the Bible says that He's drawing you with cords of love. Think about this. God loves you so much that he was willing to give his only son. To take your place so that you could be set free from sin and rebellion and you could serve God freely with joy and gladness. And if that's you this morning and you are not right with God, you are not saved, maybe you're back. God is drawing you and he wants to just put his arms around you and Wrap his arms around you and say, come to me. Come here, come here. I love you, I love you, I love you. That's you this morning. You'll signify that to God with an uplifted hand. No one's looking around. This is not to embarrass anyone. This is just so you can have that precious gift of salvation. Hallelujah. Anyone at all. Praise God. All right. You're saved and you love God. And you know you're going to heaven. Praise God. That's wonderful. Let's stand to our feet. I don't know if I ran long or short. I don't know how to keep track of time. My wife said I should take a time management class. I told her I don't have time for that. Praise God. But God is good and he's helping us and he's got great things in store for us. He's already preparing a place for us. He promised he's coming back. As he's away, occupy till I come. He says, you know, We've got stuff to do in the kingdom. We want to win souls for one thing. Draw people to Jesus and just be a blessing. So let's